From NJ.com and the Star Ledger, welcome to the Rutgers Rant, your one-stop podcast for the Scarlet Knights, with your host, Steve Politi, and Rutgers Insiders, Keith Sargent and James Cratch. Let's start shopping. All right, hello everybody, Steve Politi from NJ Events Media, welcome back to the Rutgers Rant, a 31-13 loss to Michigan State to talk about. I'm with uh, Cratch and Sarge, as always. Uh, guys, I, I don't know what you think about this, I'm I'm Big picture here. Um, I, I'm wondering. You know, we've talked about what this team looks like. What's going to happen here in the future? Pat, you've talked about it a bunch about this team. Maybe last year's three ten wins were more of a mirage than than anything uh, with the COVID situation. I'm wondering, have we seen that? Now, do you think what happened in these three games against Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State lopsided games for the most part uh, is it indicative that the team just wasn't as far ahead as we thought? Or uh, is this a case where the competition was really good and here we are where we thought we would be uh, with the uh, schedule opening up? I mean, what, do you, what do you think the, the big picture situation is with this team at, at, six, at six games? You know, I think I don't think it's necessarily that dramatic because let's look at this. So they played three non-conference games. They swept them. Uh, they played Ohio State. I think we all expected them not to beat Ohio State. The Michigan game was just as competitive as it was a year ago for the most part. And in Michigan State, I think what we are kind of seeing with Michigan State is when Mel Tucker got the job last year, he got it after uh, in 2020. So he did not get the head start that even Greg Schiano got when he was rehired because Mark D'Antonio retired late. And then they had a pandemic hit. I think what you're seeing is there was a lot of talk going into this game about transfer portal, transfer portal, transfer portal. Well, that's true. Like both schools have used transfer portal, but Mel Tucker had a you know, I, I look back from 2016 to 2020, the recruiting classes, Michigan State's average recruiting ranking in the nation was like 32. You know, Rutgers was like 58. So I think what we're seeing now is that now that Mel Tucker's had a full year in his program, he had a lot stronger foundation to build upon. So I think that's why we're seeing maybe he didn't get the reinforcements last season that he's now gotten this year. So I don't I, – I look, I think last year was a strange year, but at the same time, too, I don't think that necessarily this team is any better off or worse off than it was a year ago. I just think the competition so far on the schedule has stepped up a little bit. Sorry, I was muted. Uh, Mike, Michael started this, Sarge. I, I guess when we're looking at it, um, you know, this is a defense. They've got a 600-yard almost, a 300-yard passer, a 200-yard receiver, a 200-yard running back, you know, four plays of more than 60 yards. I, I guess I just thought this defense was going to be better. We, it looked better. I mean, it was better against Michigan. It was better against uh, Syracuse. I, can you give me a sense of, you know, do you think this is an anomaly or is this unit getting a little beat up and, and teams figuring it out? I mean, what, what's your, what's your broader picture on the defense? Here, here's the biggest concern I have. And you could go back to a couple of weeks ago where we talked about how crucial this stretch was going to be. You know, the biggest concern is just the injury, the, the, the toll that, that, that uh, these games have taken, you know, on the injury front. And, um, we don't know the full scope. I mean, we think that Noah Vedral will, will, will play this week. He told us, you know, in the post game that, that he's fine. But, you know, Bo, Bo Mellon, that seems like it could be a, you know, you know, longer term injury than maybe not the full season. But I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not optimistic myself that he'll be back uh, this week. 
uh, Aaron Krushank went out. Uh, Christian Izian went out. So all of a sudden, these injuries are taking a toll. You're seeing it on defense. They're playing a lot more younger guys, you know, up and down the two, two deep guys with less experience. So all of a sudden, a, you, know, a, you know, a unit that had 20 of 22 starters, you know, back now, all of a sudden, the depth is, 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 is being tested. All right. Uh, offensively, Cratch, and this, this is kind of what I wrote about um, after the game, you know, that I, I'm wondering – if maybe teams have figured out Sean Gleason's scheme a little bit, if, if maybe uh, we're starting to see that uh, year with a film on what, what they're trying to do here at Rutgers, uh, that defenses are good coaching in the Big Ten is kind of coming, coming up ways to stop it. The evidence certainly isn't good. Power five opponents for this offense, uh, 17 points, 13 points, 13 points, 13 points. Uh, is this just a situation where we're again we're looking at blocking, we're looking at losing two tackles, we're looking at two receiver, losing two good receivers, or you know we have a really big problem with the offense? Yeah, I think they've they've had some injuries. You know, I think obviously losing Sutton and then losing O'Neal uh, this past week. You know, they they can't really mix and match. Like this wasn't really a mix and match game for the offensive line. This was a Brendan Bordner gets called for holding for the second time, so you bench bench him, and then you still have Vedral. You know. It could have been disaster, that strip sack at the end. So they, they, I think I counted 19 pressures and like nine hits or something uh, between Snyder, uh, Snyder, uh, Snyder and, and Bedrill out there on Saturday. It was rough, rough day for the offensive line. No, and I, look, we've talked about – we're going to talk about the big plays Michigan State offense hit. Rutgers doesn't hit those plays. Right. They're just not talented enough to go down the field – have a 75 yard drive every time that ends in seven points. They need, you know, no bedroom home. They need those flyover yards. They, they do get them sometimes, you know, Crookshank at the 75 yard touchdown catch and run against Ohio state, but they don't have enough of them. You know, it's just, this is an offense that all the limitations that were there last year are still there. They just happen to have a couple of razzle-dazzle plays, and I think that, you know, the Johnny Langan package, it seems like that's kind of kind of over for the most part. I think we only saw it once on Saturday. So, yeah, I just think it's a little bit of the league catching up to them. I think it's a little bit of injuries. I think it's a little bit of the fact that, again, the personnel they had last year when it was a lot of smoke and mirrors is the same personnel they have this year. And I think that is also – it's a regression to the mean potentially. Right, and I do think losing those losing those two guys, losing Melton first off, and then Krushenko was having a great game. I mean that that uh, catch he made on the on the first drive where he, he dragged his toe, and it was an NFL quality. I know he didn't get both feet down, but NFL quality uh, reception. And then he was wide open on that uh, on that last play, and it just it just missed. I, th- I thought he maybe slowed down a little bit. Uh, it was in the third quarter. If he catches that one, and goes in for a score. Well, the game's tied. It's a completely different game. Um, so when Greg Shano says that you know this was a close game. Uh, into the second half, he's right. Uh, that said, Sarge, it you know it didn't feel like it. it. You know what I'm saying? It just didn't feel like a close game. I never really thought Rutgers was going to win this. Yeah, um, yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head with the uh, the Crookshank play, where where and Noah Vedro talked about it, like them being close, you know, closer than a lot of people think. Uh, but you know that, that that was a play where um, beautiful design, you know, the the the, the, the uh, double fake, um, and, and Vedro's really good at the, you know, really good at the uh, play action fake. Uh, Crookshank was open. Um, you know, fans have, have been talking about, well, you know, you couldn't hit that deep pass, but. You know that, but all you could do as a quarterback in that situation, especially under pressure, which you got some pressure on it, is put the ball up there for for the receiver to to catch it. And uh, just from the press box view, it looked like Crookshank did uh, slow up, pull up a little bit on on it. 
um, those are the types of plays that you got to hit. And, you know, if, if that happens and the game's a lot closer, then, 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 you know, then Rutgers has a chance going to the fourth quarter for sure. All right, we're going to dive into a lot of this in detail, but I want to go right to uh, true or false because we've got a lot of good ones. So, and we've got a lot of questions from Rutgers Insiders too. So this is, uh, we've got a jam-packed show. Let's go to true or false, fellas. You know the rules. Let's do it. True or false. Rutgers is better off playing on the road right now. Cratch, true or false? False. Okay. Sarge? False. I'm going true. I'll explain why in a minute. Uh, True or false, Jalen Berger, Wisconsin uh, running back, will end up at Rutgers. Sarge, true or false? Going to you first. True. All right. Cratch? I'll say false for now. Okay. I'm going to go false for now as well. True or false? Forget it. This season is done because the injury bug is real and unfixable. Cratch, true or false? False. Sarge? False. Yeah, I say false too. They can overcome this. True or false? It's time. Let's get Gavin Wimsat into the damn game. Cratch, true or false? False. Oh, boy. Sarge? False. A couple of falses. I'm going to go true just to be the contrarian one. We'll go back to this one in a minute. Uh, true or false? Rutgers should commit to the youth movement in the second half of the season. Interesting. Cratch, true or false? I'm going to say true, but I don't really think it's a youth movement. I think it's just the, the better players are going to start the play movement. All right. Sarge? Uh, true. True. All right. I'll go false again, and I'll explain in a minute. Uh, true or false? You hinted at it. Hinted at it. Cratch. The Langan package is done. True or false? I think true. Sarge. False. I'm going false as well. All right. And finally, true or false? If Noah Vedral struggles in the first half against Northwestern, Cole Snyder should start the second half. Cratch. True or false? True. Sarge. Hmm. False. Wow. All right. I'm going false as well. Let's go right to that one because it's, it's the fa- I mean, it's the only thing fans want to talk about, I think, uh, right now. Is it, it, for the most part, is Vedral. Uh, it, you know, they're down on them again. He didn't have a great game. I think we all know, you know there were many things that were working against him in that game, uh, namely the blocking, losing two receivers, and uh, Michigan State's defense is pretty good. Uh, you put in – you had good numbers, though, Cratch, in your film review, which, of course, was – you know, magical as usual. Uh, Cole Snyder is now 17 of 22, which is 77% in his mop-up duty uh, with 153 yards and a touchdown in his career. Of course, this is all against third-teamers, uh, but he looks like he's got a good arm, can move in the pocket. I mean, what, what, give, me your, give me your case here. So if you, what, what, what situation do you see, Cratch, where you're going to put Cole Snyder in that game? So, I mean, here's the thing. Like, they've played four power five opponents – and they've scored 17, 13, 13, 13. Like, it's not like this is like this place. Is, and it's not all Noah Vedral's fault, but it's like I go back to – I think Greg Schiano. I think last year made some point, you know, like quarterbacks get all the attention, but, like, they don't treat quarterback any differently than any other position as coaches. Well, look, obviously the backup quarterback is always going to be the most popular guy on campus. But every time the fan base sees Cole Snyder, and granted it's been in a spring game – and, you know, two spring games, if you go back to his first spring game, he threw that beautiful long pass uh, late in it when, when Ash was still here. And mop-up duty, but he looks good every time they see him. So there, I think that's adding to the fire of, okay, this offense really isn't performing well. Vedral's never been a guy who's going to wow you with his physical tools. And every time they see Cole Snyder, he looks pretty good. So I think at some point, yes, 
if you're, you've lost three straight games, you have not scored more than 13 points against a Big Ten opponent, more than 17 against a Power 5 opponent, at some point you might have to see what the young man can do just because every time you put him in a situation, he seems to rise to the occasion. I'll agree with that, but I, I just don't, I don't see, I don't see it happening next week just because, you know, I don't just can't imagine the scenario where Northwestern is going to be up 21 points at halftime. I mean, and the other part of this is, and I, I go back to this because I guess I know I was the one banging the free Reddick uh, drum quite a bit. And I've, I've been an advocate for a pack of quarterbacks in the past. Do we know Snyder's good? And I, I mean, that's, I mean, that sincerely he wasn't was lightly recruited. I've seen him again. I think he's got a live arm. It certainly looks like it. I don't know that he's got a cannon. I, I have got no evidence he can read the defense the way I know Noah Vedrill can. I know Noah Vedrill has mastered this system, even if he can't make all the throws. And I've seen that Noah Vedrill can throw the ball downfield and, and, you know, in, in certain situations. Sarge, you were a no on this. I mean, what, what do you think overall with Cole Snyder? Yeah, I just think that it's a crucial game. And uh, I, I don't think you can blame Noah Vedrill for, for, for this past week uh, week's performance. And uh, I just yeah, – such a crucial game. I, can't, I see no scenario in which, uh, you know, that, that it, it, with your life on the line, this is probably, you know, we've talked about how, how crucial of – this is a winnable game. Northwestern might have 25,000 fans, you know, uh, there. I think it was open up as a pick em. Um, you know, so uh, Rutgers being on the road. I mean, this yeah, Rutgers has every opportunity to, to win this game, and I don't think they can be you know messing around with it. You know, with Wimsat or with you know a backup quarterback. I think you play your best players, and, and Noah Vedral, you know, has enough equity at this point that he's proven, at least in my eyes, that, that you know he should you know play. Yeah, I guess this this game. Go ahead, Crouch. You can. See, like, I don't think you go into the game like thinking it, but I think you have. Well, here's the thing: like, I know you said, "What are the chances that Northwestern's going to be up twenty-one nothing?" Here's the thing: Northwestern's not any good. They're coming off a bye. They run the ball well. They don't commit penalties. They're extremely well coached. This is not Mel Tucker, you know, taking seventeen delay of games and and doing all of his strange <laughs> thing. Like that, they that are a well coached football team that plays that defense different. and runs the ball and is not going to make mistakes. So you know what? If Rutgers comes out the way it has been, it could be twenty one nothing at halftime because Northwestern is not a team is a team that's going to kill you if you let them. All right, no, that's that's a good point. Um... I just will say, I just think we are, we don't have, we don't have a lot of evidence about Snyder. I just, I will say that, you know, that's the one. And, you know, we, I would say we don't have a lot of evidence, but like, I've only been on the B for four years, but like, if you think about Art, Jonathan Lewis, Flacco, you know, Simon, all the quarterbacks, Cole Snyder is the one guy who has actually looked decent every time we've seen him. And I think that has to, like, I get it. I'm sure there's many reasons why Vedral is the starter, obviously. But at some point, like if the guy keeps on playing well, when you let, give him little, you know, little spurts here and there, at some point, you probably it's natural to want to see him in front of a first team defense. I, w- I will say this too. Uh, it's, a, it's a fair question, and we'll bring it up this week when we when we have an opportunity to talk to Graciano. But Sean Gleason, you know, and we wrote about this last year. You know, dating back to Princeton a little bit last year, he was a master at utilizing all the quarterbacks on his roster, all the, all, all the quarterbacks mm-hmm. capable of playing on the roster. At Princeton, he, he played multiple quarterbacks, not just Johnny Langan-type package type stuff, but he played his back with quarterbacks. Has not 
this season. So maybe there's an opportunity to do that. I've never been an advocate, but if the if it's close and you want to give more of a uh, glimpse of of Cole, uh, of, of Cole Schneider to see, you know, you know, if he could do it against first team defense, then this would probably be the opportunity. I will say, I will say this, and and we, to another true or false point uh, about the. Uh, uh, Johnny Langan package. I don't think it's dead for this exact reason. Sorry, you mentioned it. I mean that that they will use multiple quarterbacks, and this is Northwestern is a bad defense against against the run. This could be a situation where they send him out there like they did against Purdue, and all of a sudden he you know he can have a kind of you know ten play seven minute drive where they score a touchdown. I mean don't you, don't you think there's there's there is a there is a scenario where Johnny Langan's not just coming into the game for a third down, but they might use him the way they did last year. I go back to that. I go back to the Purdue game last year. That's a great compare. Like you know, can Chong Gleason deliver that um, you know game plan? Does he have the personnel to do it? I mean, you know that, that you know that was. Do you go back to that Purdue game? That was a you know a work of art from an offensive uh, scheme and in, in-game adjustment standpoint. So you know, this is a week you know where where he's going to have to you know throw you know everything at, at you know at it and and be able to be as you know creative as possible. Crash, do you think they figured out Gleason, or is it is it personnel? I think it's personnel. I mean, I think, look, Sean Gleason's a really good offensive coordinator. I think he does, for me, like two to three things a game that you're kind of like, why did they do that? Or like, you think, hey, you know, Greg probably should be on the headset. Like, hey, we're not doing that, Sean. But no, I, I think I think he's a good offensive coordinator. I think he's doing the best with what he has. Right now, he, he doesn't have the horses. They're going to have the horses in a year or two. They they think they've got the, the biggest horse of them all, you know, in the stable getting ready to play, you know, in the future. So, yeah, I think that, you know, I, I agree with Sarge. I think Johnny Langan's going to play. I just think that we've maybe gotten to the point where he is more of a tight end than anything. So we're going to see his snaps with the football, his rushes limited. Uh, but no, I, I just think that now game plan like they using against Purdue last year. I just don't think that's going to ever happen again. I think it was a once in a lifetime situation because it, it, it quickly became so predictable from that point forward. All right, so I want to make my point about the road game thing, and and I, I think the evidence is on my side. They won they won three Big Ten road games last year. I get it, COVID, no fans, it's different. But their two best games of the year, arguably, you know, Syracuse, at Syracuse and at Michigan. So I, I don't know, and I wonder about like, is there a scenario? And I don't want to I don't want to kill the fans. I I, I you know I get it that, the, that I'm going to hear a hundred different excuses why the noon game. Ticket takers, we count. I'm going to hear that a million things. If I kill, I, I get it. They're just, they're just the fans are never going to be in the building on time. So I've just given up on that. I do wonder though, when they run out that tunnel, you got Michigan State 11th in the country, and there are you know 12,000 people in the building 10 minutes before kickoff. If that impacts them, I, I don't know. Do you think there's some psychological? You know, yeah. you know, people, what do you think? Yeah, uh, so we've been to Michigan. I mean, I just couldn't – or Penn State last year. We, we've seen these atmospheres where fans have just are, – are, are in their seats and, and the, the energy in the building at kickoff is absolutely incredible. Folks, we're, you know, there's a reason why we harp on this is, is because we've seen the other side of it. It's unbelievable. I will say this. So I'm not even sure at this point it's a tailgating issue. I think it might be twofold. I think – they're clearly giving away uh, a ton of tickets, okay? And when you give away tickets, you know, the, the, you know, the average you know, fan receiving those tickets isn't really a diehard fan. So maybe they get the tickets last minute. They're free. They go on Google Maps or Waze the night before and like, oh, okay, you know, SHI Stadium is, 
you know, a 20 minute drive. I'll leave it. <laughs> I'll leave it at 1130. <laughs> and then all of a yeah. sudden, holy crap, there's traffic. And then yeah. they had to get shuttled parked over at the rack rather than at the stadium where Waze the night before tells you that, that uh, uh, you're going to be able to park. So all of a sudden you have to take a shuttle from the rack over to the stadium and it's not just a, a tailgating issue. So if they had 41,000 tickets uh, distributed, you know, they, you know and, and they gave away a, you know, a good portion to, to fans just to try to fill in as, as much as they could, a lot of those fans weren't just tailgating. They were arriving late, you know, because of traffic issues and just because of just the uh, being naive to, you know, how to actually attend a, a, you know, a college football game. I, I think it's more than that, though, too. I, I think there are 8,000 really good Rutgers fans who recognize the importance of getting in the stadium on time. And I think there are 20,000 Rutgers fans who don't give a crap about it. I mean, this is, it's really simple. If they wanted to get, if you wanted to get into the building in time on time for the kickoff, you would get into the building on time for the kickoff. They don't want to do it. You can't make them. You can't guilt them about it. You can't tweet them into the building. You just can't do it. I mean, they just don't <laughs> crash. Am I wrong? They don't care. Well, let me, uh, uh, I want to hear Cratch's point, but there's a reason why they just upgraded and did everything that they did inside the tunnel with the light show. And it's because Graciano, has, has become abundantly aware that you know the players are going to come out of the tunnel and they're going to see you know you know the the amount of silver and and empty seats you know throughout the stadium and he does not he's going to manufacture you know a game day environment and try to get his his team hyped up any way he can if that uh, you know means putting club music and lights inside the tunnel he's going to do it but you know it's an issue that has certainly sunk in with the team go ahead crash i'm sorry I agree with all the points made. I think that I just want to all clarify that I was wrong last week. They do open the stadium, I believe, two hours before kickoff. I just want to throw that out there. Uh, look, I think they should just have Steve Peichel give out more TVs. Like There you go. If everyone got a TV. Yeah, I mean, everyone gets a TV. You know, I mean, look. Everybody. Give out 53,000 TVs. 53,000 TVs. I mean – I think some of it's just like this is this is America in 2021. Like people don't really want to, you know, people don't like. It, I think at the point like not having every seat in the house filled is not a big deal anymore. And I think Sarge is right. Like, are you guys right? Like, whoever made the point, like, people just don't care. Like, they they just don't care. I mean, you know, this is. This is like a hundred year thing. This is not a, you know, it's not ticket scanners. It's, it's a combination of ticket scanners and apathy and traffic. I mean, I turned on a river road off of a two eight seven South exit nine on Saturday. And it was like bumper to bumper. I was like, wow, there must be a ton of people here. We got like three quarters of a mile down the road and it opened up. It was like, you know, I was like when I drive to the press conference later today and I have no idea why it was just some strange, you know, like, there's a lot of annoying things that come with going to a Rutgers game day. And I think people realize that, but you know, all the tailgating lots on Bush campus are well within walking distance of the stadium. That's not an issue. People just don't care. And that's okay. You know, right. and, and when, we, when we say better, that again, when it, there are 3000 fans better, that do. Go. <laughs> there and, are 3000 fans that really do. Wonderful. I also yes. think that it's, it's also like a, it's like a, a generational thing. Like if the student section, they've been strong at every game. Those kids who are freshmen who are in a student section, if the team keeps winning by the time they're seniors, they're contending for the big 10 East. They're going to be more fired up as alumni to come back. 
And then I think that's going to grow and grow and grow until you get to the point where maybe, you know, 10 years from now, there's 13,000 people that want to be in their seats at kickoff. And then 10 years after that, we've got 26,000. This sounds like a Chris Ash, uh, you know, seven-year plan. Hey. Here's the thing, too. Here's the thing, too. We can't get Giants and Jets fans in the MetLife Stadium before there's six minutes left in the, you know, gone through by in the first quarter. You know, I think this is just, this is just the way the world works these days. People like tailgating. It doesn't work the, in the state liquors. college this way. It doesn't it does work, work in Ann Arbor this way. This way. That, 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 I mean, nothing rest, works yeah. at Michigan. I mean, Michigan, like they have 110,000 people go to a place and I feel like I'm walking down Main Street in Chester, New Jersey you know, with my ease of access. I, don't it's incredible. I know. How does it work? You're absolutely right. Uh, all right. Well, that was fun. Uh, the one last thing I wanted to revisit because, Kratz, you think that there's going to be a youth movement. I, the only reason why I'm saying I'm disagreeing with this, unless, of course, I mean, they lose to Northwestern and then it starts going in the opposite direction. There's no reason not to. But I do think that Greg Shiana will reward these players who have stuck it out. He's not going to bench, you know, the Tyshawn Fogg or an 03, certainly because he's the best player in the defense. But you know what I'm talking about. I think that he sees a cultural thing. If you're going to, if you're going to stay, if you're going to commit to – uh, the program as a fifth, sixth, eighth, eighth year senior, whatever it is now, um, he's going to commit to you. Do you disagree with that? I don't disagree with that, but I also think at the same time too, like, you know, if, if you've got a linebacker who can't get off a block or you got a linebacker who can't get across the field and there's a 95 yard touchdown run the other way, like at some point, you know, you're going to have to, you know, adjust to that um, real quick. Because I, I don't think we, like Wimsat. here's my thing. If counting this week, I figure if you're going to play Wimsett, I don't think they're necessarily going to play him at all this year. You don't worry about playing him until Wisconsin week. You At that point, you'd have four weeks, four more weeks of practice. you got Wisconsin week, Illinois week, Northwestern week, and the open week. I think at that point, once we could maybe see him potentially get his feet wet in the final four games, but I don't think he's ready to play now, certainly. I think we will see him, but Sarge, you don't think we will see him at this point. No, I do. I think we'll see him. I, 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 I think he's going to play at some point. The Wisconsin week now, I, I, I've become you know sold on what Cratch said. Um, yeah, I think we will see him at, at some point. It's just I don't think you know. I, I can't really talk about what I've seen in practice because you know we would be uh, banned from practice going forward. But I have not. You know, uh, I just don't know if he's ready yet. All right. Good stuff, guys. Fun debate. Let's go to our Rutgers Insider questions. As always, thank you for subscribing to our service. We've had a, a fun time being, we're back to part-time therapists now with a lot of you guys and hopefully uh, hopefully talking through talking through your anger helps. All right. Uh, I asked them, so this week I asked our Rutgers Insiders, if you're going to bench Federal, make a case and tell me why you think specifically uh, the other quarterbacks are, are worth it. And, I, you know, i got a lot of really good answers. I can't get to them all. Uh, one from Mark, who, who, who makes the point, and this is, this is what he says specifically. Snyder throws the ball much better. He is taller and can see over both his line and the defensive line. He is apparently able to run the ball. He knows how to step into the pocket, not away from it, and he seems to be able to avoid sacks much better than Noah. I, I, it's unclear if he has as much, as much a grasp of the offense, but it'd be a good time to find out, especially if Noah gets hurt again. We can't play like this forever. It's a pretty good answer. I mean, Craig, you, you know, you, this is kind of what this is kind of how you feel about it. 
Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think Noah's obviously the starter and, and until he, you know, as long as he's healthy. But I think at some point, yeah, it's, you probably need to sprinkle Cole Snyder in there a little bit, you know. And it may be as simple as there's a blowout. You you yank Noah like one series earlier than you know you would ne- no necessarily would have, you know, just to see what happens. Because as I said, the kid looks like he's got everything going every time we see him. So right. it's natural mm-hmm. to want to see him against the real thing. One more answer for on that question was a good one. <clears throat> Vegreal is a tough kid, but holds the ball too long and it's not accurate. Throwing late into a crowd and missing open receivers has killed us for two years. He was the safe choice until he started turning the ball over. I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with this one, Sarge, just because I don't know that there's a many there are many opportunities. Uh, you know, the receivers don't get open as often as uh, other programs. There's still a separation issue. Uh, there's still a certainly time throwing the ball. I mean, it looks like he's holding the ball too too long, but there are plenty of times when you know the the pass rush is just there right away, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, you go back and, and, and look, uh, I Cratch has it in his film review. I think he was, you know, on, you know, running for his life on, on 17, you know, plays, you know, how many times did he drop back? I mean, just, you know, he's running for his life on, on the majority of those plays. Those take a toll and it's hard to be as accurate. We've seen when, when Noah has time, he, you know, he's a, you know, he's the most accurate quarter, uh, quarterback they've had since probably Gary, Gary Nova, his senior year. All right, as much as the fans want to bench Noah Vedrill, they also seem to be ready for a change at running back from Alex and Marlboro. Uh, the coaching staff and the majority of fan base believes Pacheco is the best player at the position, but for some reason the offense moves better with Aaron Young and Kyle Manungai in the game. Will we see a workload decrease soon for Pop? Uh, interesting point. I mean, I guess I go back to – you know, the same, the same, just a high level of defenses they're facing. I'd be interested to see how he does against a week. If they give him the ball 25 times, Cratch, against a weak Northwestern uh, defense, is he going to have 150 yards? He could. You know, I, I think that's the thing. Like, I, the thing about Isaiah Pacheco is, like, every, every time, like, you're kind of, like, out on him, he shows up and he has, like, a 100-yard game. You know, and he's, and he's critical to a winning effort. So, yeah, I don't think they're going to move on from him. You know, I think that he is their guy. But I certainly get what the fans are saying. And, again, like, it worked a little bit, I think, against Michigan. But, you know, the, those looping sweeps where he's bouncing to the outside, it just just doesn't work. You, you know? love those sweeps. What was the line? What did you call them in your film review this week? What, what was, like, the, ine- the inevitable, the obligatory? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's just, you know, I get what they're trying to do and really get to what they're trying to do is the offensive line on Saturday. Holy Toledo. I mean, that was bad. But, yeah, it's just, like, it's, it's, it's not going to work, you know. It's just, like, you're, it's a square peg, round hole situation. Like, he's not – he is not a running back who's meant to go do that. He's not going to get to the edge quick enough to turn it up. I, I do think and um, that we've spent probably 15 minutes of this podcast talking about Noah Vedrill and replacing him, but Crash touched on it, and I watched it firsthand. He obviously analyzed a lot better with the film review, but, like, the offensive line was really bad. Like, like almost uh, – it was bad. It was as bad as I've seen, you know, in one single game um, – and you know at least you know four or five years which is saying something so you know the running game we could we could talk about you know pacheco and you know i just don't think that they have a whole lot of opportunities from run game and i think from from the the 
folks, quarterbacking is hard when you don't have time. And um, I think that's we could talk about Noah Bedrill at, at nauseum. And I, I, I think, you know, maybe we do, you know, uh, give Snyder an opportunity. Maybe, I mean, the line's not going to change. If the line's not going to change, maybe you have to, you know, see what, you know, another quarterback can do behind, a, a, you know, a porous line. But, um, you know, the blame Noah Vedral for all the issues at quarterback, I think is unfair. No, and, and to piggyback off that, like the 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 designed runs with Vedral, they worked really well. Like they I worked think, well in this game. They, they had one good design run, but it seemed like the, the Michigan State figured it out. Well, they had a couple of decent runs. I really think that's a, like that's something that they could work on. I really think more of a zone read game. Now, granted, they have to read the zone read well could help this offense but that gets you in a position of you know if Noah's continually running the ball he, he took a lot of licks on Saturday he's going to get hurt which I think is the fear they have and why they can't go all in on that yeah. but I do Dan- think that's Daniel something Jones. that would help the offense <laughs> yeah it's the same thing with the Giants Daniel Jones it's gonna happen um and it did happen so I don't know how, how hindered let's, let's go right here before we forget and we, I did forget uh we think could this be a cat and mask game is the chance that Vigil is more hurt than running on number one and number two either one you take this which of these injured players you think are most likely that we're going to see this week and which ones are we not going to see it could be a cat and mouse game I don't think so I mean you know I don't think Noah's not a guy who like he was pretty convincing I don't think he would just bald face lie to us and I don't think Rutgers would make him available in that situation even if they want to play a cat and mouse game I would Raekwon O'Neal dressed on Saturday, which kind of took me by surprise. I would not be surprised if he's back this week. Melton, you know, it's kind of using a sling on Saturday. It's kind of hard. Crookshank to me is a total mystery because she honestly after the game it was a shoulder injury. I have I watched the game. I could not tell where he hurt his shoulder. He got hit hard earlier in the game, but he stayed in the game. He seemed like he was moving fine. Even when he when he dove for that pass and then got up and immediately was waving, like, take me off, he didn't seem to wince or anything. So I, I don't really know. Like, that's the one I have no clue about. How about Izian? Uh, we didn't get updated on Izian on Saturday. I, you know, tough. I mean, he clearly was a, was a lower body injury, but, you know, I don't know if that's a situation that he might be back or not. I mean, Greg kind of said in the press conference he got banged up, so I don't know if he didn't seem to be as ominous, for want of a better term, discussing Izian briefly than he was Crookshank. So we'll see. All right. So uh, let's dive into the, uh, the next question here about the defense. Uh, Sarge, why don't you take this one? With so many starters returning on defense, I thought this unit was going to be better, possibly the best linebacker core in the Big Ten coming into this season. I guess that not I get that not having Melton is a blow, but we have multi-year starters, Izzy and Avery and Young. Uh, And then we're bolstered by Patrice Rene. I just don't get it. What is the problem with the defense? Speed. That's it. Speed. I mean, they're just not, you know, Greg Ciano, you know, his first 10 years, kind of funny. Like, it took him a couple of years to actually get the type of speed athletes that, that he want, uh, wanted. What he did really, you know, a key, uh, later in his tenure was moving players down a level. So, he would take a Kasim uh, Green from safety and move him down to, to, to linebacker. Um, I'll be interested to see him do that more and more. I mean, uh, uh, Pal, uh Played a lot more at you know at linebacker. I could see him getting more uh, you know more more opportunities. Um, I I could really see Graciano. If you're going to see some changes, I think maybe even if he doesn't bench a Tyshawn Fogg, but I I could see him playing more linebackers to get more speed onto the field because that's the biggest issue right right now. We saw in Ohio State 
We certainly saw it, you know, with, with, with you know, uh, Naylor, you know, running down the field <laughs> they, they, and, and then ch- chasing after Walker, you know, running back. They don't have the speed, at, you know, on, on, on defense. That, that is uh, it, certainly in the back seven of the, you know, the, of the defense, they are lacking in speed. Cratch, when you watch this game again, do you get the sense that it was uh, the secondary issues were just really good <laughs> receiver from Michigan State? A couple mental yeah. I think it was just, you know, like Greg Shannon said, the, the eye discipline kind of lacked. And then I think that, you know, there wasn't much of a pass rush and just, you know, some really good receivers hit some double moves. And, you know, if you make a one little mistake at that level covering a guy, you're toast. I think we saw that. All right. Now we've got two to wrap up, two kind of wacky questions. I like the wacky questions. Uh, Rocco from Sebring wants to know, um, why do coaches call a 30-second timeout? Do they get anything in exchange for calling a 30-second timeout versus a full 60-second timeout? I, I've never heard this question before. Christ, you, you, you know, you're, you're a student of football here. What is Rocco asking? You know, I, I, I know exactly what he's talking about. Like, a referee will say, like, a full timeout, a 30-second timeout. Rocco, I'm going to be honest, you got me stumped. Like, I, I just have always assumed that it's sort of like the NBA where it's like maybe you get, like, two full timeouts and one 30-second timeout or one full and two 30s. Uh, you know, I, I don't really know. I thought actually thought the same thing the other night. Driving home, I think I was listening to the Giants game on the radio last night, and I think the Giants, you know, someone called a timeout, and, and they said it's a 30-second timeout. And I thought to myself, you know, I've never really dug into the room book to figure out like what the timing rules for timeouts are well there you go we don't know either rocco how that that's how's that for an answer <laughs> um all right and this is a good one this is a good one sarge uh no com- just curious who's the guy in the rucker sidelines who shadows shian every move shiano makes is he a coach security what is his role and i think he's is he the headset guy sarge i mean what is what is this well i mean do? there's a, f- a few people but you know shiano has a guy who, who you know shadows him to, to make sure you know that the, the, the headsets aren't aren't uh, getting tangled and that you know that that you know that he's basically helping him out with anything he needs like you know he, he has that practice as well so um at some point politi you'll, you'll get to the point in, in your in your writing career where you have someone who who can shout at you and, and transcribe uh notes for you and ask that questions be nice? and at some point you'll get to that level steve and you just haven't reached it but i've been grooming brian fonseca for that role for five years he just doesn't seem act he doesn't seem like he wants it <laughs> as much as i'd like him to take by the so, way okay. uh, cratch has already reached that level because i'm the guy who actually shadows cratch and helps him out Right. This is, there you go. Yeah, well, when you when you watch you're around to, to answer that question, though, when you're around Rutgers enough, you'll notice that Greg Shannon's got a lot of guys. There's just a lot of people around who who do different jobs. I mean, it's like it is like a it's a small army of people who have different responsibilities. That you know, some very clear, some like, a little less so. You're not sure what what some people are doing. It's interesting, put it that way. I think we've hinted at it, guys. This is a huge game. You win this, you're four and three at the bye. Uh, you can heal up, and then suddenly, you know, winning two more to get the bowl or, or having a strong finish doesn't look so bad. You lose this one, you're three and four. It is hard to find a scenario where you're going to win three more games and get to a bowl game. Um, Cratch, what do we know about Northwestern? Are they as bad as they look? They're pretty bad. They're pretty bad, but as we mentioned earlier, like, they do do some things well. They don't commit penalties. They do run the ball well. They've got some you know, areas where they're good. They're disciplined. So and it's, just not, it's not an easy team to play. They're well coached. And Ryan, you know, it's 11 a.m. local time kickoff, sleepy environment. It, I don't think it's the layup that maybe some people think it is. All right. Well, 
let's dive in. Pick them. Oh, Sarge, you were surprised about the pick them? A little bit. Um, but yeah, if you're asking prediction time, um, I think Rutgers is going to win. I think they're going to win. I'm going to go another rock fight. Um, I can't see, you know, uh, I, I think Rutgers is going to have to, you know, um, control the tempo and, and be able to, you know, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of points. So I'll go 23-20. Rutgers. 23-20 Rutgers win. Cratch, you picked Rutgers to win last week. Uh, that did not happen. You know, pick them. I was disappointed to see a pick them. I was kind of hoping we'd have a line so we could play the line game a little bit. I think Rutgers is going to win, but I think it's going to be like a hideous game, like 15-13 or something. Like, it's just going to be a total ugly debacle. I do think Rutgers will win, but it's 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 going to be a, a, a bad sight for anyone who happens to show up to Ryan Field. You know, this would be easier to pick if we knew. It's just hard to pick when you don't know the injuries this early in the week. If we knew Melton and, and Krushank was gonna, we were going to play, it'd be kind of an easy pick. Um, I was the one who got the, not, the, not to pat myself on the back, the one who got the Michigan State game right. So now I've got a chance to really to really put the paddle to the floor here in the standings. Uh, but I'm going to go the same direction as you guys. I think Rutgers is going to win this one. I think it's going to be relatively easy, maybe like a, uh, you know, the game we finally see the offense break out a little bit, like a, a 30-20 type game. Uh, and that uh, that means a good running attack. That means we'll, 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 we'll silence the Noah Vetrol drumbeat for, for a little while. Uh, I think they're just due for a good game. And then this, this is the perfect time to have one. Um, all right. What else we got? I say Sarge went to Indianapolis again. Big Ten basketball media days. Oh, that's right. How was that? Was that you didn't go to St. Elmo's? This is I crushing. did not. It was the first. Uh, yeah, I was hoping to to go six for six in my in my uh, you know home away from home, Indianapolis. Um, but I did not make it to St. Elmo's. Um, and you know, I think my you know eat, eating St. Elmo's. I flew in on Friday night, you know, late, and I wasn't going to eat it like you know ten o'clock at night. And then you know Saturday I worked, and and it just it just wasn't really an opportunity. But to, to talk you know the business of what happened, obviously you know uh, Steve Peichel, and and you know every time I talked to him, I you know I spent probably a good twenty minutes uh, you know uh, talking to him uh, after his podium. Um, and then another probably 15 minutes uh, during the breakout se- session. So spent a lot of time with him and Geo Baker and Ron Harper. Every time I and, and Kelly McConnell, every time I talk to Pikeel, I come away even more, I, I you know optimistic really because you know uh, Pikeel exudes o- optimism regarding this team. He really is high on this team, folks. I mean, he you know to to a point where he thinks he's going to be the best team that he, he he's, he's coached, and he thinks you know that. You know, he's not making any bold predictions, but, you know, I, I think based on the way he feels, I think they have every opportunity to 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 uh, get, get back to the NSA tournament. Um, he his the message that he he told his team in the first practice was, you know, national championship. You know, that tells you. And I, as I joked with him, I said, you know, there hasn't been really a coach in the last 45 years who's mentioned that. And actually people took him seriously. But the players, what was their reaction? And basically they he said that they, you know, that they all believe it. The other big news obviously was you know see Vivian Stringer not being around the uh, women's basketball team we wrote reported about it before you know I even got to the you know got to Indianapolis she has not really been with the team since April um and it's really stems from her her uh, fear of catching COVID. Um, you have to remember she's a 73 year old woman who who has a 
uh, daughter who's, you know, 40 years old, who has spinal meningitis, has been, you know, um, dealing with that since, you know, she was two. So Vivian Stringer has a lot of reasons not to want to get sick. Um, and, in, you know, and I w- was not aware of this until, un- until um, you know, I started reporting the story, but Rutgers is not really testing now. So, you know, there is a mandate that, you know, all, all students on the campus have to be vaccinated. Um, so, uh, you know, the assumption, even though we, you know, I can't prove it, is that uh, the players on the team have been vaccinated. Um, that doesn't mean that people can't get it. At, you know, as we know, uh, the Delta variant is highly contagious. So, I mean, Vivian Stringer has a lot of reasons not uh, uh, to be fearful of it. And, uh, so, so she's not coaching. There's no timetable on when she will be coaching. Um, you know, uh, you know, Timothy Eatman, um, who by all counts, you talking to the players has done a really good job, you know, steadying the ship, um, basically says that she's day to day. I mean, sorry, I will say this. And I, like, I, I understand everything you just said there, but she signed a five-year contract extension in the middle of the pandemic. I mean, was this not discussed? Like, I mean, I just don't have, eventually we have to, you have to do your job on some level. This is not like, you know, an administrative leave for, I mean, she's a very high, she's the high profile face of a, of a, you know, what's supposed to be an NCAA tournament basket. How, how long is, is this sustainable? I mean, I just don't, I just don't get how this can go on really. Well, it's a fair question, but two things uh, right now, um, Rutgers officials have made uh, have said that she's basically taking her sick time, um, which is um, her right. Um, and, um, and again, it's a, it's, a, it's a fair question. She's she signed it. Uh, the board of governors meeting I think was April fourteenth. I reported it, and no, you know, and everyone, you know, it's been it since April is when she basically was around the team last. She cannot. She was coaching another, the team. It was worse in March when she was coaching the team. But so two more. Two more. Um, so, uh, you know, she cannot, like, I, I asked Timothy Eatman whether or not, like, she can, you know, monitor practice because she had meetings with players like she probably did last year early on during the uh, pandemic, you know, Zoom meetings and whatnot. She can't even do that because of the NCAA rules. You can only have four coaches. So, basically, they've had to elevate, you know, one, one of their operations people to, to, to be a, a, you know, assistant coach. So, Rutgers would be breaking a rule for Vivian Stringer to be doing, doing any instruction right now. So, Look, um, you know, it's a, it's a fair question with regards to the contract. Um, and, um, and as one person told me, again, Timothy even saying that she's day-to-day, but, you know, to, to, to think that it's, uh, the, the pandemic, you know, I know, I know numbers are, are, are decreasing, but we're talking about an indoor sport in which you're going to have fans, you know, 1,500 fans, you know, you know in the building. Um, to think that it's going to be any better this winter, it's probably naive. Yeah. I don't want to say this, Christ, but if this is the case, if she's not going to coach the team, she should retire. And I'm, I hate to say it, but this is the situation. This is the situation that you're faced with. You've got a job. The players are all vaccinated, so you shouldn't, at this point, you should be able to coach practice. You're vaccinated. You can get a booster. I, what am, do you disagree with that, Cratch? No. I mean, look, I, I, the one thing, my big takeaway, too, is one, is that I don't, I really think Rutgers should have been more transparent about this if it's really been months because there's nothing, as Sartre said, all the reasons, it's perfectly valid reasons why she should want to take care of herself and her family. So one, I don't understand why they did, we're not upfront about it. Two, I think that you can say day to day, but like is you need to be concerned about your student athletes and what's fair to them. 
And if the situation is she's going to not coach this season because of this and, and you'll reevaluate, you know, once we hopefully get really full, finally past this thing entirely this coming spring. Okay, great. But clear the deck, let Tim Eatman be the head coach of the program. Let the players know who their head coach is going to be, who's running the team and move forward. Cause here's the thing. This is a team that's been very competitive in the big 10, the past few years. And they just revamped the program entirely with the transfer portal. They've got a lot of, veteran players who have starred at mid-major programs who are getting their shot in the big 10. Now, I just think you need to let, you need to be fair to them and have them know what the situation is going to be. Cause it gets really strange. I mean, what happens if they're in January and they're, and they're tied for first place in the big 10 does, does Vivian suddenly say, okay, I'm ready to go and show up. I mean, if they struggle out of the gate, is she less inclined to come back and coach? I mean, it's just very messy to me. So I, I just think Rutgers has to, it's totally valid. She has every right to do it. It's completely understandable. It's a very serious situation, but they should have a solid plan moving forward by the time the ball is tipped off. One more, one more, which is, you know, Cratch is going to love is I still have not got a, an answer. Um, and he might know this better, but if Tim Eatman serves as the acting head coach, again, you're going into the season, every win and loss, you know, goes on Vivian Stringer's record. So this is a coach who's fifth all time, you know, in, in, in wins, uh, 1,055, so every one of those wins, you know, that, that they can presumably get, you know, <laughs> she could be, Amazing. you know. She's going to get the salary, the million-dollar salary, <laughs> the victories. It would be – I mean, that's something – I wouldn't go back to work either. That's, that's, that's pretty impressive. And I, I'm joking about the last part. I don't, I don't want to – you know, I don't want to – she's a Hall of Fame coach. She's a wonderful leader for the program. It's just – it is really just a, a unprecedented situation, and I'm just not sure if it goes into the season how sustainable it is. I agree with you, Cratch, totally. Uh, all right. Anything else we got to touch on here before we sign off for the, for the week? No, no hockey one, women's soccer one. Pretty good. Yeah. All right, All right guys. Uh, well, thanks for listening, everybody. We will be back. I'm sure we'll be back right because of the bye, bye week. And Sarge and I have a little bit of time off coming, but uh, we'll be back uh, uh, before the next game to recap what's happening and to preview the final five games of the season. So thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Rutgers Rant. To participate in the conversation and receive live updates about the Scarlet Knights directly to your phone, Sign up at nj.com slash insider.